It's never easy being an England supporter during a World Cup. There is so much expectation, so much hype surrounding the national team, and they never really seem to live up to it. And this year has been no different. The squad crashed out of the tournament during the group stage. This hasn't happened since 1958. And obviously, there is much disappointment amongst the supporters. Now, the British aren't the most encouraging fans in the world. And uh, I've got a little video this morning for you to uh, hear what they had to say following England's loss to Uruguay a few weeks ago. So several are calling for the manager, Roy Hodgson, to be, lose his job. Others are blaming Wayne Rooney. I wonder how encouraged those two are feeling particularly at this time. But in truth, the whole team needs to hold up their hands and to take responsibility to do better next time. And we as supporters need to see positives that were on show and encourage the team to develop in the future. It can be tricky to see the positives in the light of disappointment. And encouragement doesn't come easily at moments like this. But as Christians, we're called to encourage one another. And often, encouragement is most needed when we are disappointed, when we feel worthless or helpless. A kind word can lift our hearts and help us to get ourselves back on track, despite the odds being against us. I've got a nice little story for you now. A group of frogs were travelling through the woods, and two of them fell into a deep pit. When the other frogs saw how deep the pit was, they told the two frogs that they were as good as dead. The two frogs ignored the comments and tried to jump up out of the pit with all their might. The other frogs kept telling them to stop, that they were as good as dead. Finally, one of the frogs took heed to what the other frogs were saying and gave up. He fell down and died. The other frog continued to jump as hard as he could. Once again, the crowd of frogs yelled him to stop the pain and just to die. He jumped even harder and finally made it out. When he got out, the other frogs said to him, did you not hear us? The frog explained to them that he was a bit hard of hearing. He thought they were encouraging him the entire time. There is power of life and death in the tongue. An encouraging word to someone who is down can lift them up and help them to make it through the day. But sometimes a harsh word can do exactly the opposite of this. We have great power and we need to use it responsibly. We've just heard from Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, and Let us consider how we, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Being a Christian isn't an easy thing, and people's words can hurt us and knock our faith. But Paul, in his letter to the Hebrews, is telling them to be mindful of this. There are going to be divisions, there are going to be differences of opinion, but we can't let these differences get in the way of meeting together as God's people. We need to be looking for ways to encourage one another so our experience of worshipping together isn't a negative one, but it's the most positive aspect of our week. Paul was one of possibly the greatest encouragers. 
He wrote a lot of letters to encourage those who he knew were going through hard times or those who were taking on leadership roles or just trying to encourage those who were doing amazing things for the Lord. Now, Paul, as we know, started his life out as a bit of a bully. He persecuted the Christians, he threw them in jail and even saw them being put to death. But the Lord uses the most broken of people to do his work. This is from Acts chapter 22. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be witness to all people of what you have seen and what you have heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem, he was praying at the temple. I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately. Because the people there will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. The Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, it probably would have been easier for God just to cut his losses in terms of Paul. He was a bit of a disappointment. He was a huge sinner by his own admission. And in his letter to Timothy, he says this. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He fully acknowledges the fact that he is a sinner. He is one of the worst sinners. But... That's not how Jesus works. He doesn't just cut his losses with people. He doesn't just give up on them. He chooses those who are broken and who have let themselves down to do his work. He encourages them. And those acts of encouragement change people's lives. We are called to model our lives on Christ. And we are therefore called to encourage the broken, the lost and the disappointed. As our words can change people's lives for the positive or for the negative. Now, a lot of Paul's work after his conversion included encouraging other believers to carry out the good work. He wrote letters and visited churches all over the place, spreading the good news and building up those who were trying to follow Jesus. And he took a number of, under his wing, he took a number of young men under his wing and mentored them and discipled them to become leaders for the future church. In Acts chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, we hear about Paul's encouragement to these young men. This is from the Message Translation. 
With things back to normal, Paul called the disciples together and encouraged them to keep up the good work in Ephesus. Then saying his goodbyes, he left for Macedonia, travelling through the country, passing from one gathering to another. He gave constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. Paul, this sinner, encouraged these young men in their journey with the Lord. And the Lord gave him power to perform miracles in his name. Paul maintained this kind of mental relationship with some of these young men. And I quoted earlier from the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy was one of these young men who was one of Paul, with, with Paul on this occasion. His relationship with Paul was very close. His name appears as co-author in a few of Paul's letters, including 2 Corinthians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Paul wrote to the Philippians about Timothy and said these words. He said, I have no one like him. Paul had so much trust in Timothy. And when Paul became concerned with the state of the church in Ephesus, he sent Timothy to pastor the church there. They were going through a very challenging time. The spirit was at work in that place, but the teaching had become a little bit wayward. Questions had been growing over who Jesus was and what he had actually done. And this concerned Paul hugely. So he sent Timothy to try and stabilise the church and put them back on track. The book of 1 Timothy was a letter written written by Paul to Timothy at the start of his ministry in Ephesus. Paul had just been released from house arrest and the letter is vaguely a compact guide to running a church. The letter focuses on three key areas. Chapter 1 is about Timothy standing firm in his calling to the church in Ephesus. Chapters 2 to 3 are about the church's worship and the life and character of its leadership. And chapters 4 to 5 concentrates on giving personal advice and that word again, encouragement to Timothy. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Paul's encouragement undoubtedly was valuable in Timothy's ministry in Ephesus. And speaking from a personal point of view, as a church, each one of you has encouraged me in my ministry. I feel I've grown hugely during my time here in Linfield. And with God by my side and all of your prayers, I feel excited and ready for the next step in my journey in starting Bible College in September. Charles was a wonderful encourager during his time with us, and I often felt like Timothy, having his wise guidance there to call upon. God uses the broken, the disappointed, and the lost to do his work. We never know the impact of our words on somebody's life. We may be encouraging the next Paul or the next Timothy, and I know that's what Jesus would want us to do. There's an old uh, saying, and it goes a little bit like this. 
Moses stuttered. David's armour didn't fit. John Mark deserted Paul. Timothy had ulcers. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Amos's only training was in the school of fig tree pruning. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. David was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. John was self-righteous. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Moses was a murderer. Jonah ran from God's will. Miriam was a gossip. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worrywart. Noah got drunk. Did I mention that Moses had a short fuse? So did Peter, Paul. Well, lots of folks did. Satan says, you're not worthy. Jesus says, so what? I am. Satan looks back and sees our mistakes. God looks back and sees the cross. He doesn't calculate how you failed back in 1999. It's not even on the record. Sure, there are lots of things and lots of reasons why God shouldn't call us. But if we love, we're in love with him, if we're hungry for him, he'll use us in spite of who we are, where we've been, what we've done, or the fact that we're not perfect. Pray for one another, encourage one another, listen to one another. And remember, God uses the unexpected sinners to conduct his work here on earth. Amen.